Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at montrosechurch.org. Have a great day. perfect celebration and and so as we kind of enter in and we continue this Lenten series tune in we're thinking a little bit this morning and I I suppose if I were to say to you if you don't get anything else I want to be sure that you tune in today to this truth you are included you're included and so we're thinking a little bit about how the story is unfolding and we're sharing together out of Ephesians chapter 3 this morning and uh, in order to really appreciate what Paul is saying in Ephesians chapter 3, we, you have to have a little bit of background. And so a couple of things that are going on. Uh, when you stop and you think about how Saul of Tarshish becomes Paul the missionary, that story begins to unfold. It's one of the great, great stories of the New Testament church. It's, it's one of the most bizarre events that happens in all of uh, the New Testament storyline. And so what you have is you have Paul... Well, Saul of Tarsus, and, and Saul is this deeply connected, kind of well-placed individual. So he's from a, a family that has high Jewish standing. He's, he's connected well politically. He's connected well economically. He comes from a wealthy family. And uh, we meet Paul kind of at a very brief moment over in Acts chapter 7. Uh, he's a young man. That's all we really know about him. He is present at the stoning of Stephen, the first Christian martyr, and he's holding the coats of those who are uh, carrying out the execution of Stephen. Kind of a sad first introduction that we have of of Saul of Tarsus, but it tells us a couple of things. It tells us that he was well-placed. It tells us that he was well-connected. It tells us that uh, it was really significant who he was and how he was placed. I, I suppose as we gather information uh, about him, he's an up-and-coming young man, powerful in the ranks of Jewish leadership. He comes from a powerful family. Uh, he has the equivalent uh, of an Ivy League education. He is educated in the very best schools. In fact, he tells us specifically that he is educated under the leading uh, teacher of the day. And so uh, it has this tremendous impact, this tremendous uh, idea uh, of who he is and what he's about. As he, as he ages a little and he moves more into an active role in the leadership uh, among the Jewish Sanhedrin, he uh, is on his way to Damascus and he has gotten letters from the chief priest and, and these letters give him permission to go and to arrest people uh, in Damascus. And so we sort of surmise, we sort of collect out of that that something's been going on in Jerusalem. In fact, we're going to find out as the story unfolds uh, that he's been creating all kinds of chaos in Jerusalem, persecuting Christians and arresting them. And now he's carrying that uh, practice out to Damascus. And so he's on the road to Damascus when a bright light from heaven uh, shines down on him, knocks him off his horse. And he's left there in the middle of the road, and a voice from heaven speaks to him. And it says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And, and Saul answers back, who are you? And the voice says, I am Jesus whom you persecute. And so we have this, we're going to find out later that Paul is having a vision. He's looking into the third heaven. He's seen Christ face to face. In fact, he will call himself an apostle out of this moment that he was with personally with Jesus 
And uh, he calls himself an apostle born out of time, born unnaturally. Uh, and what a weird moment. And Jesus tells him, go on into Damascus, and I will tell you what to do there. And uh, the people around him are confused. They hear the, the voice, but they don't understand what's happening. And when they go to help Saul up, he can't see. And we have this profound statement. Uh, he was led by the hand into Damascus. And he goes and he is holed up in a, the house of Judas who lives on State Street and, and, and he's unable to see. And we're told that for three days he is in darkness. For three days he can't see and he's struggling and he doesn't eat anything and he doesn't drink anything. And then the Holy Spirit goes to a man named Ananias and says, Ananias, there's a man over at the house of Judas on Straight Street. His name is Saul of Tarsus. I want you to go there. I want you to pray over this man. And, and uh, Ananias says, uh, no, I, I know about this guy. I've heard of the chaos he's created and that he's come here. And, uh, and the Holy Spirit says, I've got plans for this guy. So I want you to go and pray over him. And Ananias goes, and he goes to Judas's home, and he knocks on the door, and he's ushered into the place where Saul is. And he says, Saul, the Holy Spirit has sent me to pray over you, to restore your sight. And so he begins to pray over Saul, and Saul receives the Holy Spirit. And we're told that something like scales fall from his eyes, and he's able to see again. And immediately, we're told, he gets up, and he begins then to proclaim uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ. In fact, what he specifically begins to do is to proclaim that he is the Messiah, that Jesus is the Messiah. And, and in, in this little sequence of events, we have our first hint at what's going on because the Holy Spirit tells Ananias, I am going to commission Saul of Tarsus to carry this message to the Gentiles. He'll be my ambassador to the Gentiles. And so we already know how this story is going to go. We already understand what's unfolding. We already get the flow of the narrative. And so as you kind of hold that in your mind, that's a big deal. That, that conversion takes place in about 36 AD, and the writing of Ephesians takes place in about 60 to 62 AD, so about 30 years difference. But it's going to be very difficult to understand what's being written in these chapters of Ephesians if you don't understand this conversion story, because this is what he's talking about. It's the very thing he wants to reference. And so we're going to read that in just a moment. But before we do that, I, I want you to think about this. I want you to think about the reality that Jesus was the welcoming rabbi, that Jesus was the person who came along and, and taught in this unusual way, this unsettling way, this way that, that it really disturbed everybody. It made everybody uncomfortable. And he was inclusive in a way that, that didn't suit the traditions of the day. So when you stop and you think about that, I, I think there's several groups of people that stand out to me. The first one are the Samaritans. Jesus is constantly reaching out to these Samaritan folks. He's, he's constantly including them, whether it's conversations with the woman at the well in Samaria or whether it's the story of the good Samaritan. He's constantly reaching out to these people. And for the Jews, that's just such a difficult thing. They have theological issues, uh, there's political issues, and there's very deeply rooted personal issues. And so we have this sense that Jesus is this welcoming rabbi. He's including the Samaritans in the message. He's including the Samaritans in the, the invitation. He's including them in the narrative. He's including them as a part of God's work in the world. And, and to be very honest, people are very unhappy about that. The second group that Jesus singles out is women. Women uh, in, in the New Testament are 
considered to be a secondary part of society. But Jesus reaches out and includes them in ways that are, are absolutely shocking. Even to his own followers, it's shocking. He engages with them. He engages in conversation. He hears them. He listens to their stories. He, he, he passes over condemnation. He passes over judgment. And he joins into those stories, those stories of people who are highly disenfranchised in the culture. They're highly disenfranchised. They, they don't have a voice. They don't have an advocate. And Jesus immediately becomes an advocate. He, he, if you read the stories, how he intricately steps in, he intervenes when somebody is putting a woman down or pushing her out of place. He's inviting. He's including women. And it's countercultural. It's upsetting even to his own disciples. They, they can't quite understand why or what he's doing. The third group, just to single out in this idea of this welcoming rabbi, is the tax collectors. So Jesus, he spends a lot of time with tax collectors. He invites one to be one of the twelve, one of the inner circle. But he's constantly doing redemptive work among these people. Now, in the first century, a tax collector would be, by and large, uh, the, the, one of the most hated individuals because they are collaborating with the Romans at the expense of their fellow citizens. They are, they are collaborating, getting wealthy, exploiting, taking from, uh, you know, maybe you've been in the grocery store this week and you've wondered why people are grabbing so many things and why they can't share uh, those are tax collectors. That's, you know, they took away necessities from people required for them to live. And they, they did it to become wealthy and they did it in collaboration. Uh, greedy, um, everything you can think of in an adjective for an individual group of people in the culture that were uh, incredibly disliked. Um, and then Jesus includes them. He includes them in his stories. He includes them in his life. He, he sits down and has meals with them. Uh, the, the Pharisees, the leaders, can't understand his associating. Can't understand associating with Samaritans. Can't understand associating with the women. Can't understand associating with these tax collectors. It just makes no sense. Another group is the broken. Disease in the first century was considered to be um, a just punishment for something that had been done. And so if you uh, were ill, if you had a sickness, a couple of things could be going on. Uh, one, maybe uh, you hadn't really behaved the way you were supposed to, and now you were being punished for that behavior. Or uh, you hadn't followed all the spiritual etiquette that you were supposed to follow. And so um, you were being, you know, you were getting what you deserved. And the Jewish law and the Jewish culture was so, um, you know, open that you could also be being punished for what your father did or you could be being punished for what your father's father did or your great-grandfather your great-great-grandfather it could be generational somebody else could have messed up but you're receiving the punishment uh, or it could be an evil spirit and the presence of an evil spirit would indicate sickness and and uh, any of those were kind of like well you're kind of getting what you deserved and so uh, folks who had infirmities, uh, they sort of were isolated from society, uh, even often by their own families. And so Jesus spends an enormous amount of time with people who are broken. 
He heals the sick. He's moved with compassion. I don't think we, we get the weight of that. These are people that culture found a way, society found a way to say, well, that's not our problem. That's not our issue. They're getting what they deserve. Jesus wades into that. He very specifically says, you know, someone asked him, why, is this, why was this man born blind? Was it his own sin or the sin of his father? And it's neither his sin or the sin of his father. He's breaking those cultures. He's including, and he includes them. He heals the sick. He gives sight to the blind, the lame walk, the dead are raised to life. He's wading in. These people are included. And then the last group, just to think about for a moment, are sinners. Jesus had the habit of including sinners. These are people who willfully have chosen to do things, to participate in things that weren't polite to talk about, that had engaged in life in a way, rebellions, disobedience, indulging their baser instinct, lust, whatever it might be, self-destruction. He has a way of engaging with them. Whereas the culture would have pushed them aside Uh, would have really invested in sort of the imagery that uh, we're all holy and we're all doing the right things. It's only these people. They would have isolated and separated those people out to sort of identify them as the the outcasts. And and so then Jesus comes along, the welcoming rabbi. Imagine this. We have these ongoing accounts that Jesus is sitting down among the sinners. He's gone to dinner again with these people who are shamed in the culture who are less than, who are looked down upon, whose habits and choices have separated them and isolated them. And Jesus includes them. He puts his arms out and includes them. So so if you think about what's gone on then over in the story of Acts, Saul of Tarsus becoming Paul the missionary, very specifically the Holy Spirit instructing and saying, you're going to be the missionary to the Gentiles. It's contained in the conversion story. You're going to be uh, the, the, the messenger to the Gentiles. We shouldn't be surprised at how the narrative is unfolding. It, it shouldn't be illogical to us how it's unfolding. So as you have all that in mind, you think about what Paul, happened to Paul, you think about the in welcoming nature of the rabbi. Uh, now listen to what Paul writes in chapter 3 of his letter to Ephesus. Surely... You have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations as it has been now revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel... The Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of His power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. 
according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, do not be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are for your glory. So Paul, now in about 60 or 62 AD, at the end of his life, towards the end of his life, he's in prison in Rome. He's chained to a Roman soldier. He's writing this letter, and he is reflecting back on 30 years earlier this, this moment, this cataclysmic moment of the grace of God. Nothing he did for himself. He was on his way to Damascus. He had no intention. He had, his guilt hadn't been uh, engaged. He, he wasn't repentant over his life and behavior. But, but Christ reached to him in this uh, uh, crazy act of revelation and grace. And he becomes a follower of Jesus Christ. And now he, he writes and he really highlights four things that I think matter uh, around this idea. The mystery of inclusion. You are included. Number one, it was a direct approach. It was a direct approach. So Paul didn't have to do any sort of, you know, gymnastics with the scripture to figure this out. He, he didn't have to go back and, you know, define the Hebrew word and, and say, well, in some applications. He wasn't doing any sort of exegetical gymnastics to get to this moment to say that the Gentiles are included. Because God didn't leave it up to that. Jesus speaks directly to Paul from heaven. I mean, think about this. How much easier would life be if Jesus periodically just interrupted and spoke directly to us from heaven and said, Hey, I know you've been thinking a lot of stuff, and I know you've been getting it all mixed up in your head, and I know you think you're doing the right thing, but you're not. And here's the real story. And Paul can't get away from this. He can't get away from the direct approach. He can't get away of the grace of it. He can't get away from the fact that God would do such a thing for him. But he can't get away from the message itself. That, that what he used to think, that how he used to see the world, his racism, his issues uh, about who was included and who wasn't, how it completely blew apart everything he thought, what I once held as dear, I now call rubbish compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord. This was a direct approach. It seems like it would be one of those things that you just can't misunderstand. The second thing that I want you to notice is it was a mysterious message. It was a mysterious message. I think it's astonishing to me that Paul at this moment would still call it a mysterious message. So we just took all this time to talk about the welcoming rabbi. If you just think about how the narrative is flowing, you think about the story of Israel and, and sort of the uh, exclusivity that went with that. But even in the very beginning, uh, walk before me and be blameless. I will be your God and you will be my people. And through you, all the nations of the world will be blessed. There was never a time that the Jews did not understand that the message, the revelation of God was not exclusively for them. They were just the carriers of it, but it belonged to everyone, to the greater world, that everyone was going to get the blessing. So why is it a mystery? Then on top of that, as the narrative continues to unfold and you get to this welcoming rabbi, Jesus, uh, who is God tabernacled in human flesh, who reaches out to the disenfranchised, he keeps including people, keeps including people, keeps including people. You would think that the logical flow then 
would be this transition to the next part of the narrative. That, in fact, it would be logical then that more people were going to be included. But here's the mystery that Paul's talking about. Maybe we should have logically gotten there. But the mystery that Paul's talking about is this. That in that moment, he understands something he's never understood before. And that is that people outside the Jewish culture, Gentiles, are going to be included equally with the Jews. Now, maybe that doesn't seem like a mystery to you yet, but hold it in your heart for a second. So, what he's wrestling with, what he's coming to, what he's trying to convey in the words that he sort of musters up as mystery, this mystery has been revealed, is this deeper reality. The Samaritans are equal in the inheritance. They're included equally as the devout Pharisee. That the women are included equally. They're not just included. They're not just an addendum. They're not just an also-ran. They're included in the core. The tax collectors, it's not just an act of compassion. The tax collectors are included in the story at the same level as the most devout of the Sanhedrin. They're they're alongside the descendants of Abraham. Jesus specifically says, I could raise up descendants of Abraham from the rocks if I needed to. It's all a part of that same narrative. The sinners are included equally because it's not about their righteousness. It's about the righteousness of God. The the broken, the, the disenfranchised, the undesirable, the shamed people, they're included equally. And that Jesus leaves that story, that inclusion, he leaves that story with the Jewish people. And then he commissions Paul to say, and now I want you to take this story to all the Gentiles. And so it's a mystery. Here's the mystery. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what happened to you. It doesn't matter what you chose. It doesn't matter how you got broken. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter what your ethnicity is. It doesn't matter if you were raised Catholic or or, or, or Protestant or or nothing at all or, you know, Hindu or Buddha. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter what's happened to you. It doesn't matter what choices you've made. As we enter into this mystery of the cross and the sacrifice of Christ, we're equal together at this place, at this place of God's grace. And I would bet that that's still a mystery for many of us, that we still feel less than. That after all of this, after all of this understanding, after all of this writing, after all of this direct revelation from God, that it still is hard for us to accept that me, my stuff, my issues, allow me equally to come to the cross That leads us to the third point. It was a humbling revelation. Paul says, I became the servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power, although I'm less than the least of all of of God's people, of the Lord's people. He says in another place, I am the greatest of all sinners. Listen, if this mystery doesn't grab you with humility, then there's something not quite understood in your own narrative. I mean, if you still think God's getting a good deal, if you still think God's lucky to have you, then I'm not sure you can ever appreciate the power of the mystery. 
I'm not sure it seems mysterious to you. Uh, it, it, it would feel like that that kind of an attitude is the same that the Pharisees possessed. That God's really blessed to have me. That he's really lucky I'm on the team. Paul thought that. Paul understood his own life that way. So now he can't talk about this direct revelation and the mystery that's been revealed without also talking about the humility that goes with it. Because who am I? Who would I ever be to carry on this conversation? I am unworthy. I am unworthy. I am unworthy, which leads me back to the mystery, which leads me back to the direct revelation of God. God needed to show up from heaven and speak audibly for me to understand the mystery of my inclusion, which humbles me at a level that impacts everything I do. It impacts the first breath I take every morning. It impacts the way I pray. It impacts the way I think. It impacts how I see other people. That I cannot escape this humble reality that I am included. I'm included, and I'm not included as an addendum to the story. I'm not included as an afterthought. I'm not included in the consolation bracket. I'm included in equality with the very moment of revelation of God to Abraham. I'm included in the narrative. I'm not someone else. There's not a hierarchy in the system. That's the mystery. We're all included in this place together. Last thing... It was a magnificent mission. That the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through his faith in him, we approach God with freedom and confidence. And he says, and it's a part of the mission and purpose of the church of Jesus Christ to continue to carry this message forward. Here's the magnificent mission. God began to reveal himself through his names, through his law, through the narrative of Israel, through the prophets, through the kings, through the judges, through the exile, through the restoration and rebuilding into the revelation of God tabernacled in human flesh, his son in whom his full glory is revealed. Passed on in this transitional moment, Paul is saying to me, to carry this message to the Gentiles and then this message will be entrusted to the church of Jesus Christ, he says us and we will keep it alive we will continue to tell the world that they are included in this message of hope given by direct revelation from God <laughs> given into this context in which it is so mysterious that we all get included no matter where we come from and that humbling reality then becomes ours to share we become people of light, sharing light and darkness, salt of the earth, light of the world, letting our light shine in such a way that they see our good deeds and give praise to our Father in heaven. I almost think how ideal is it today that we are scattered the way we are, that, that we are in all these various places, scattered around the city, scattered around the San Gabriel Valley and the Verdugo Valley and the San Fernando Valley and out to Silmar and up to Santa Clarita and scattered because this is our magnificent mission to carry the story of inclusion to the people around us. I got an email uh, yesterday that uh, told me 
uh, from one of our families in our church that said that uh, they're starting to experience some racism uh, as a result of the coronavirus. They're an Asian, a family of Asian descent, and, and they said, uh, we're hearing more and more people are lashing out. Hey, we don't do that. We don't tolerate it. We, don't, we stand against it. If, if right now, we just thought about this, we're a couple of thousand points of light in this city. And we just say, no. We know better by direct revelation, by the mystery of God's graceful inclusion, by, by the humbling reality that this story belongs to us and by the magnificent mission that is ours to share and tell. We stand against that stuff. We just don't tolerate it. We don't think about it. Our brains don't work that way. And if we hear it or see it, we're going we're gonna to speak up. We're not going to allow it to be a part of our community. It's just not okay. And then I just push a little further into that thought. In what way are we passionately carrying that message of inclusion to our neighbors, to our friends? We're not supposed to ever let it die out. We're not supposed to ever let it go quiet. It's not supposed to ever become old or routine. We're not supposed to ever get comfortable. We're supposed to always be experiencing this direct revelation and the power of the mystery and the humbling reality that we get to be included. And we're supposed to carry it forward. In my notes, I have this kind of last section. and It starts out like this. Has it hit you yet? Is this still a history lesson? Because I think maybe I have a tendency to ramble on. Has it hit you yet? Does this still sound like some collection of just storylines? Because you are included. You are included. Equally included. God's not making an exception for you. He's not lowering the standard so you can get in the club. The mission and the ministry and the passion of the heart of God is that he so loves the world that he gave his only son. And he didn't give his only son just to kind of patch us up, make us look a little better, give us the strength to get through life. He patched us up to bring us into partnership in his kingdom, to include us in the mystery and plan of God. And so maybe this morning it hasn't quite hit you yet. So let me, there's a lot of messages you might hear. There's a lot of things that are going on in our culture. There's a lot of ways in which you might be getting messages in which you're being told you're less than. A lot of those messages come out of our own heads. I don't look the way I need to look. I don't weigh what I need to weigh. I don't make the kind of money I need to make. I'm not as smart as other people. You don't know the choices I've made. You don't know where I've been. You don't know what's happened to me. You don't know how I'm broken. You don't know, you don't know, you don't know. We tune into a million messages about our inferiority and the ways in which we are less than. This is not a history lesson. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ that has gone to incredible lengths to say to you, you are included. You with your brokenness, you with your habits, you with your shame, you with your less than, you with your inferiority, you with your anxiety, you, you are included. 
because that is the master plan of God to include us all, all of us from all different walks of life and backgrounds and brokenness and stories and narratives and races and, and, and religions to include us into this invitation to know Jesus Christ and to know God. And that's good news. That his strength is made perfect in our weakness. That it is the righteousness of Christ that ultimately brings us into this place of equality in the kingdom. And so as you've made this journey, as you've thought about the messages, whatever messages are getting in your head, please stop. Please stop. You are included. By direct and divine revelation, you are included in this mystery that wherever you came from and whatever happened, at the foot of the cross, we gather on equal footing together as one broken family. And that creates humility in every one of us. And if it doesn't create humility, you might want to go back and review. And out of that, we have a magnificent mission. And that is to share this empowering message of love and grace that God has for every single human being on this planet. To be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. I challenge you. We are scattered around this city. Let's make a difference. Maybe somehow on a regular week we can, we can come together and gather in this room and feel like we're doing our God thing and, and that sort of satisfies some need in us and then we go out and we get back to our regular life. We don't get to do that for a few weeks. We're just going to have regular life and we're going to let the Spirit of God get out of this room and into your homes and in their neighborhoods and let's just be a thousand or a couple of thousand points of light in which we carry this magnificent mission and message and we make sure that every single person in our family and every single person in our neighborhood that we encounter and over at the grocery store where people are going completely crazy. I'm telling you, the Trader Joe's line is almost up to our church this morning. We're going to make sure that whatever else they've heard, whatever other voice might be in their head, they're going to hear this. You're included. You're included. Pray with me. God, we give you thanks. We give you thanks for a message that so profoundly includes me. Me. My narrative, my story, my upbringing, my background, my sin, my failure. The things I thought, the things I didn't think, the things I should have thought, the ways I should have acted. Included. Wherever I came from and whatever I understand and whatever I know. My prayer is that as we go out from this first Sunday of sharing together in this way, we will be the church commission. We don't even have to transition out of this room and into our communities. We're already there. And wherever you lead us and, and to whomever you lead us, we commit today that we will experience traffic in the divine, direct revelation of God to this magnificent mystery and in humility, we will share the mission with the people around us. Would you send us? May we go in the strength of your spirit. May we bond together as the people and family of God. And may we celebrate together that each of us and all of those we know are included. 
I pray it in Jesus' name. Continue with us, we pray. We ask it in your name, and everybody said together, amen. God bless you. Thanks for joining in. We'll see you next week. Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.montrosechurch.org. Have a great day.